The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Oh, hello, creeps. Um, where are the uh, rules? There's only one rule. Are you ready? Here it is. There are no rules. Go. Welcome to The Noise Report, a podcast about music, movies, books, and other random assorted pop culture. Hosted by the music guy, CJ Plain, coming at you live from the house of fuckery. Welcome. Now let's start a riot. Now let's get out there and melt some bases! I'm the music guy, CJ Plain. This is another episode of The Noise Report. Uh, you know what we do here. We laugh. We have fun. Uh, we talk to cool and interesting people. And um, today we are going to introduce you to a really cool band uh, that I was introduced to not too long ago. Um, they are called The After Hours. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves and uh, give you a beef beef uh a brief <laughs> background on them um to start so take it away gentlemen introduce yourselves right. and uh thanks for the beef man uh this is bruce <laughs> bruce from the after hours where's and... the beef <laughs> Russell Reed, come on. yeah michael from the after hours as well and we just are the after hours. It's just us two. So yeah. the band thing is an interesting thing. It's it's literally just us, which is uh, some people don't necessarily know that. So it's kind of the it's kind, kind of, of a different deal. Yeah, kind of a power duo, <laughs> so to speak. For sure. Yeah, uh, we're blessed to live in Los Angeles and have a lot of friends who are extremely talented. Nice. So we write these songs. You know, we've been playing together for a long time. We'll get into all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're kind of like it's just us two, and then whoever we get to uh, to round out the the rest of the songs. You know, the rest of the music. I was really lucky. Um, I grew up on a four hundred acre farm uh, in Michigan, up in the Thumb. Uh, but when I turned 13, I got into some trouble, and um, my dad's immediate reaction was, you're going to live with your mom in California. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Um, that was in 1983, and right around the time that I got to uh, Inglewood, where my mother lived, um, was right around the time that, like... Shark Island and Motley Crue and a lot of those bands were starting to kind of take over the Sunset Strip. Um, yeah. So I would skip school and I would go down the Sunset Strip and I would just walk around and just kind of schmooze and um, get into trouble, you know. So um, I got to spend about seven months out there. And when I left to go back to Michigan, I had this suitcase, and I left all my clothes in California with my mom. My entire suitcase was filled with cassette tapes uh, that I had recorded on my mom's radio off a of KNAC. And, awesome, man. 
language. Yeah, so when I went through airport security, they opened my suitcase, and a lady looked at me, and she's like, she's like, what the hell is this? And I was like, music. And she's like, it's nothing but cassette tapes. And I was like, I know, it's all bands that I recorded. Because, you know, back in the day, you used to record songs off the radio and shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> I went back to Michigan, and I got there, and my grandfather, of course, you know, he was like, where's all your clothes at? And I was like, in California. <laughs> he's like, well, what's in your suitcase? And I showed him, he's like, he's like, what are you going to do? Tape those to your ass and wear them to school? And I was like, that's what I have to do, you know? Like, but it was, um, I loved it, man. Like, I was sad to come back, kind of, because, yeah. um, it, I grew up on Southern rock and country. So when I went out there and I was introduced to this style of music, um, I had heard certain bands. My uncle Marty is a huge vinyl collector and is a huge fan of bands like Slade and Sweet and those bands. So I had heard those bands. Um, yeah. But like I said, when I discovered KNAC, I almost really hated leaving the house because I just knew I was going to miss some great new band or something on the radio that I wanted to record. Um, so... Um, it was very no, cool hearing you guys' songs, and I love the style of a man. It's that kind of punchy, melodic, fun vibe of that era, you know? Thank you, man. That's, yeah, you know, everything you're saying about KNAC and, and the Sunset Strip scene in 1983 and all that, like, we've yeah. had, we've, we've had phases and we've grown as musicians mm-hmm. and we've Lord and like gotten into a bunch of different stuff but that kind of we always find ourselves going back to yeah our fascination with that because okay so i'm born 87 you're born 86 right yeah yeah so um top gun era it's kind of this thing that we've noticed it's like this generational thing where where people are fascinated with the era or you know around the era that they were born in mm-hmm. and for us that's like smack dab in the middle of the 80s and um you know we're also like rock guitar players and the rock music, the rock guitar oriented music, especially then was like, I don't think there's ever been a better time. Yeah. So really, when we were like really, yeah, from when we first met, when we first started seriously getting into music, that sort of stuff was like at the center of our interest. She had all these virtuosos at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Eddie was like the king of all of that, that kind of helped kickstart. Mm-hmm. But then of course you got Randy Rhodes, and then all these other guys like Steve Vai and then yeah. Ian Bay and all that mm-hmm. crap. But so even all the hair metal bands had all these amazing musicians yeah. at the time. So yeah, it was awesome. We yeah, so we uh, yeah, that, that's always going to like sort of seep into right. the music we're making, right? And I'm sure you can hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the thing about that era, to me, that made it so great was it didn't take itself serious right? in the sense of it wasn't, look, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything. I'm a huge fan of thrash metal, bands like Creator and, and Slayer and Metallica. I'm a huge fan of reggae. I'm a huge fan of hip hop. And there's a place for all of it. But all of those musics can take themselves too seriously sometimes with 
politics or with whatever. Yes, 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 yes. For example, right now, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the Peacemaker series. Um, <laughs> but, okay. Okay. Oh, my God. We but, can get into that like a quick, yeah, yeah ask, ask the question. What, what? Well, I'm just saying, like, James Gunn, it was so brilliant the way he has used the music in this because the music that he's using perfectly mm-hmm. fits the tone of the characters and the, you know, the the not taking yourself too serious, no one gets out alive, the kind of fun, goofy humor. It really just fits perfectly with the overall concept. Like, it's such a brilliant use of music. And we agree. We we were talking about the show right before, and we've been talking about it since it sort of came out. We've Uh got a few friends who were in bands who... Like we were like close personal friends with mm-hmm. that are sort of like modern era this style of music and you know they have their music on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with like Veins of Jenna or mm-hmm. the Cruel Intent. So, yeah, those are like our buddies. Yeah, from like oh, we, we seriously. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, we go oh, I love Veins of Jenna. Okay, so you know Liz, Lizzie Divine. He's uh, I've played several shows with him. I was his guitar player for. Oh nice! I've played with like the last incarnation. I've played with Veins of Jenna as well as, as a session, not a session, like a live mm-hmm. uh, guitar player and stuff. Yeah. So if if you go on their Wikipedia, I think I'm on. But um, nice. no, they're like our friends. So nice. seeing them in the show, yeah, or hearing or hearing them in the show, uh, that's super cool. And then not only are they picking that sort of genre of music and they're going with that because you're right. That's totally what Peacemaker would listen to. Right. But they're not going for the thing we appreciate so much. You know where I'm going with this. I am where you're going. Yeah. They're not they're not going for like the, the basic stuff. Yeah, they're right. not doing like talk to me and like here I go again and like welcome to the jungle. Right, yeah. right. Like mention it here and there, but they don't play it. Yeah, they're uh, playing and playing all these obscure yeah. like the jokies. They're making references to like yeah. Pretty Boy Floyd. Yeah. Fucking wild, man. It's the crazy jokies and and like, like you have to know your shit to yeah. even appreciate that, right? The fact that, that he has a uh, that he has a conversation with somebody in the show about Tom Kiefer, mm-hmm. who we love, mm-hmm. we're like major Tom Kiefer fans. Uh, mm-hmm. That was so unexpected and so cool. You're like going, holy shit, they actually like. But I, yeah, and like James, so that shows that James Gunn really knows his stuff. Yeah, like I I love the scene where he. Where he like goes to the records and he pulls out the choir boys, you know, and he's like, "Holy shit, you have the choir boys!" And it was like, you know, it's such a of all of the records that he goes through in that thing, like for them to be the one he pulls out to say that because it again, they're not an unknown band, but they're not a band that just anybody is going to just randomly pick out of a hat. Um, exactly, exactly. No, that's a really deep cut. Yeah. Um, that's a really deep cut. So we were, like, super surprised by all of that. And then I think yeah. that episode ends with, like you said, like a Tiger Tales song. Yeah. Like, you got to know your yeah. stuff to know that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's there's some better-known bands in there, but there are some really bands in there that you got to – you have to be a fan of the genre to know those bands. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Dust Bowl Jokies, for example, is a band. They're an amazing band. But if you're not a fan of the jo- 
genre, you simply are not going to know that band. Okay. No, we, we can school people pretty good on, on our knowledge of that. Like I said, we've been listening to this kind of right. stuff. Right. Fascinated with this kind of stuff for a long time. We've had a conversation of going, like, who is going to be on there? Like, what who's, who's band is going to be on there? They, the, the most recent episode, they were talking, they had a full conversation about Hanoi Rocks, which is Beautiful. one of the bigger ones, but still, I don't think that, you know, the random yeah. person on knows who Hannah Ross is. Yeah. You know, and they that is true. Like, they are a band that... Hanoi Rocks is kind of... I've had this conversation with a friend. Hanoi Rocks is kind of like the glam version of Motorhead. Okay. In the sense of... You know the name. Yeah. You know who they are. But your average music fan can't really talk in depth about them if you ask the average music fan who motorhead is oh that's lemmy blah 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 name a motorhead song oh ace of spades okay name another one no yeah nothing you know so they know the brand they know the name and that's good but they really are a band that's not as well known as people think if you talk deeply now there are those motorhead fans and hanoi fans who do know the catalog and will definitely talk all night about them. But um, me personally, I've loved music my whole life. In 1989, I think it was 1980 or 1991, uh, when Michael Monroe came out with Not Faking It. Yeah. I had been through so much in my life to that point. Like I had, you know, I'd been in music and had my own bands. I'd been to jail. I'd been in the army survived foster care, all of these things. When he brought out Dead Jail or Rock and Roll, that song was a bolt of lightning to me because it simply was, to me, the story of my life in the sense like, holy shit, this song is my life. I knew from a very early age I was either going to be dead I was going to end up in jail or I was going to be involved in music in some kind of way. And I've been to jail and I've done music for 35 years. Two out of three, man. Yeah, well, you know, and you're just wait, uh, kind of waiting for the third, you know, so. Um, yep. Even now, so many years later, if anyone asks me, you know, hey, what's your theme song or what's your motto? Dead jail or rock and roll. There's no question to me, like, I don't have to think about it. It's just, that's the yep. song that defines my life. Um, right. Who are some of your your influences band-wise that, you know, growing up or maybe some modern bands that you guys love that um, make yeah. you... I figured, figured this one would come up. Yeah. And you know what, that, on the Dead Jail Rock and Roll thing, because this would be a nice segue... Um, I think Axel's featured on that one, right? Mm-hmm. Axel Rose? He's on that, right? Yeah. So I know it's like the, the obvious, easy, you know, answer. But Guns is sort of, yeah. that's like what got us. That, that was our start. I think that's sort of like, we definitely that's, that's like the zero point. That's where yeah. it all starts. It stems out from there. That's like the base of it, right? Um, and then we've got a great Axel Rose story. For later, <laughs> but, uh, I think everybody oh, has those. <laughs> I know, no, we've got, we got, yeah, we'll, we'll go back, we'll circle back to that. 
But um, yeah, it's a really cool story. Yeah. But now, uh, influences wise, we're all over the place like you too, man. Like you said, you like reggae, hip hop, yeah. You know all kinds of stuff. That's the same thing with us. Is uh, if you listen to our music, if you listen to especially those Evangeline, uh, for sure. Yeah, Evangeline has a horn section and sort mm-hmm. of a rockabilly vibe. We try to the thing that we really try to do is not, um, you know, pigeonhole ourselves or put right. ourselves in little tiny boxes because it is all over the place, man. Right. We, we've been playing music and doing stuff for a long, long time, so we love gypsy jazz as much as we love Dr. Dre as much as we love nice. Megadeth as much as we love, um, you know, like I know Rihanna or something Japanese pop, Japanese pop music, right. yeah. Because right, well, we like it all. Like an iPod and Shuffle. Yeah, because it's really, when you think about it, it crosses over so many times. Nuno Betancourt being the band leader for Rihanna for many years. Butch Walker writing a huge part of the catalog for Pink. And, you know, Butch going all the way back to South Gang. And, you know, I mean, there's all of these people that, um, you know, Post Malone got his start doing that. Um Mark Wills is a famous country singer. And yeah. we went to see him one time. They were actually, um, we went to see Joan Jett is who we went to see. And Joan was going to play later. So since we got there early, we wandered over to the country stage. And we seen Mark Wills perform. Now, Mark, about halfway through the show, playing this just very honky-tonk style country, says a lot of you don't know i started in a hair metal band and i was like okay and he launches into this medley of songs of acdc and def leppard and cinderella and britney fox and just nailed on and i was kind of like damn like here's this country dude from kentucky who you know short hair gary allen looking almost you know um and you know, with a very Dwight Yoakam style, and he just nailing these 80s hair songs. I was like, all right, go on with your bad self, you know, because it was, it's fun when people do that. It's when, you know, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, it go, no, I'm sorry. It goes back to uh, what you were saying, that, that that style of music always sort of finds its way into things mm-hmm. because it's a fun style of music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Sort of embraces this larger-than-life, escapist sort of vibe. Um, it doesn't try to be anything more than it is. Right. And there's something to be said for that. And and I think that's what's always going to like draw people to it. Yeah. Because there's plenty of self-serious shit out yeah. there. And there's like, plenty of music trying to, trying to give a message and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, for every... Like I, I've been saying for years, for every U two, there's a Motley. There has to be a Motley Crue. Yeah. Yeah. I am not a U two fan. What's that? I am not a U two fan. I've. We can respect them for a certain point, but at the end of the day, it's just like we love those bands that are just like we don't want to have fun and just yeah. enjoy. Sometimes escape, escape, yeah. Yeah, I made a joke and I got in trouble on Facebook because 
it started with the Neil Young thing and then Joni Mitchell. And then it was like, oh, the Smashing Pumpkins are going to join in and the Foo Fighters are going to join in and U2 is going to join in. And I was like, hey, make Spotify listenable again, you know, because all these shitty bands are leaving Spotify. And everybody's like, oh, that's not funny. And I was like, come on, it kind of is. Like, all the shitty bands are... Or, or leaving Spotify, it's almost to the point where you can actually listen to Spotify again and not hear shitty music right. now. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, people don't have a sense of humor. So, um, yeah. I had a question I was going to ask, and I just totally forgot what it was. Now, around all over the place is good. Um, I know one of the songs when I heard it. Mm-hmm. Not that it sounds like them exactly, but I to me, and I mentioned this to Bruce. In spirit and attitude, it kind of reminded me of Sex Slaves a little bit. Like, it had that fun vibe that they have. Yeah, yeah. We will, so, that's another band. That's, that's a really neat yeah. concept. Yeah. That's yeah. Neat. And I think we know one of those was Lich and Sex Slaves. Somebody we know was in that band. Yeah. Probably Eric. What's that? Probably Eric. Eric 13, because he's in, uh, he's in Combi Christ, too. So, oh. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, he's wow. he's a guitar player for Comedy Christ, but he's all he has. Sex slaves. Sex slaves are kind of more or less. They're still together, but they're not really together. Like they're not active. Um, but Eric still kind of does one-off stuff on occasion with them. Um, yeah. But to me, like when I hear that song, "Thank God for Jack Daniels," to me that's oh, just the ultimate. Sure. Like if that would have came out in nineteen. 19- 89 or 1991 that would have been a smash hit because that just really is the epitome of what the style was about like that big you know like that totally could have been a hit for cinderella or tortora or britney fox or any number uh junkyard probably would have had a huge smash with a song like that um or dangerous toys even I, i could hear dangerous toys uh, doing something like that, but um, it just it, that the spirit of the song kind of reminded me of that that fun aspect in that kind of I don't know it just like I said it's not that it sounded like Sex Slaves it just it had that spirit of it you know that funness. Well, like, um, there's like there's like an anthem for arenas, yeah. And there's anthem for like for bars, yeah. You know, and that's like the bar anthem, yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know if you heard last year when Eclipse released released their new record. No, I don't know Eclipse. You don't know Eclipse with no, Eric Martinson? Oh my god. Um Oh yeah. Really? They're 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 in that same vein as like what Wigwam is basically. So if you like Wigwam, you're gonna love Eric. And Eric does all kinds. He does all kinds of shit with uh, Jeff Scott Soto. Um, he has a band. He has actually two bands with Jeff. Uh, one is called Wet, and the other one is uh, I can't think of the other one. But um, Eric writes these massive anthems, these stadium anthem style songs. And on the newest record. There's a song called Saturday Night Hallelujah. And it is just that. It's a 2021 song. But when you hear it, you swear to God that it's a complete 
Desmond Child, Diane Warren style fucking anthem. Like, it's just, you know, you know, no one can play. Dude, I'm just right now. We're going to put it on the wall later for sure. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, it's one of them songs you hear it and you're just like, you know, you just, it's built to be played in fucking stadiums, you know? And um, it's just, when I heard that song, I mean, it was really just the first thing. And it's, again, it epitomizes this music of fun and the spirit of togetherness. And, you know, back in the day, you used to go to a concert and you wouldn't know anybody. And you would leave with 50 new friends because, you know, it was a brotherhood. Yeah, like it was a brotherhood. Like I could go down to Sunset Strip. I didn't know anybody. And I was a complete stranger. I didn't know the first thing about California or LA or nothing. I was a small town kid from a four hundred acre farm, a town of eight hundred people. So I was completely lost. But I met so many cool people from store owners to even homeless people that you know, would just fucking hang out with you and and do crazy shit. And I miss that time, man. Like I miss the spirit of what the eighties and the early nineties were. Um, See, to us, that's the thing, man. Is that that's like that's what fascinates us yeah. about it. It seems, it seems like it wasn't even real. It's yeah. so outrageously cool. And you hear this from we've heard this from so many people who yeah. lived through it. It just seems like every night was a party, and it was this really magical time where there were all these I mean, great musicians, and all these like amazing, like everybody felt really good. Everyone's partying, everyone's having. You know, I mean, there was really a dark side to it. Like there was, well, no doubt, no doubt, no I doubt. Mean, but, there was definitely a few situations that I put myself into that I basically was really lucky to have somebody there. To kind of be like, all right, you probably shouldn't be here for this. Um, you know, um, so I definitely had a guardian angel in that aspect. Um, the singer of Shark Island being one of them. Richard Black is a phenomenal human being. Um, so um, he snuck me into Gazari's a couple times to just kind of hang wow. out with them. Um what wasn't supposed to be there because obviously being under 21 you're not supposed to be there but Richard was kind of like hey this is you know this this is my uh, cousin and he's going to help us move equipment around and you know the bouncer was like alright just keep him out of sight you know and yeah. alright so he just kind of hung out on the side of the stage you know and kind of like pushed yourself into the curtain a little bit and tried to like stay out of the spotlight or the, the strobes or whatever where people wouldn't actually see you um, but there I was near the rainbow I wasn't in the rainbow but I was near the rainbow and a fight broke out and Lemmy ended up breaking the fight up actually of course he did and <laughs> I was standing there kind of watching and people were throwing things. They were throwing glasses, throwing beer. And I kind of moved the wrong way, and I ended up getting caught up in the crowd. And I was like, shit, I couldn't move backwards or forwards. People were throwing things. I was kind of like right in the line of fire. 
And this fucking hand grabbed me, you know, and like pulled me back and like shoved me in the doorway of this building. And it was one of the bouncers from the rainbow. And he's like, kid, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You need to get your ass home. And I was like, yeah, good idea. You know, (laughs) I just wanted to meet a rock star. I didn't expect a fucking mini riot to break out in front of the rainbow. You know, Um, but Lemmy was out in the street. He was trying to break it up. Apparently it was between two bands or something. And Lemmy was trying to be peacekeeper and, um, Somebody took a swing at Lemmy, so Lemmy basically decked him upside the head, and um, then shit started flying after that. And um, yeah, I mean, like you you can't, you know, yeah, you can't have a Sunset Strip story if it doesn't involve Lemmy in some way, right? Like, I was disappointed. I never did get to meet Lemmy. Um, I've got a very good friend who uh, is a bass player, and he actually was trained to play bass by Lemmy. Um, and, and he talks about Lemmy all the time and, you know, what a great guy he was and whatnot. And He was a really good guy. We yeah, both. like, I I don't doubt that at all. Cause, I mean, he, um, you know, he kept to himself. You, you know, you've heard this from a million people. Yeah. Sure, he, had his, his one, he had his one, you know, spot in the bar in the rainbow. Yeah. Played his video poker and he had his whiskey. And, uh, you know, most people just were used to him being there. Yeah. But if you came up to him and if you wanted a picture, if you wanted to talk to him, he would talk to you. Yeah. It was, as long as you were respectful. <laughs> as long as he was a yeah. true gentleman. He was a yeah. really good guy. I would almost say, like, if you think of Rockstar, I would almost feel like it's Lemmy right there. Yeah. Because he really does go out of the way of his times. I mean, you know, Lemmy was that, I think Lemmy was the guy that shocked people when he died because he was kind of, you know, he, yeah. I mean, he was so... You thought Lemmy was just going to live forever, like nothing could phase the guy. And then Lemmy went from being this larger-than-life figure to just wasting away to nothing almost overnight. You know, like one minute he's this massive, virile guy, and then you see him like a month later, and he's frail and, the you know, and you could see it coming, and it was like fuck and then you hear about him dying you know and it was kind of like fuck man like no one actually thought Lemmy was ever gonna die you know and now he's gone and you know there's so many stars Ozzy and Alice Cooper and and Rob Helford they're at that age where we are essentially going to watch all of our fucking idols pass man and it's gonna suck like it just um, right. I I remember coming home from work the night Freddie Mercury died, mm-hmm. and that was one of two that hit me harder than anything because I am such a massive Queen fan. Um, and I work third shift, and when I come home, Kurt Loader's on MTV, and they're playing like Queen song after Queen song, and I just saw sweet they're playing a bunch of queen shit awesome so i sat down and i watched it and after about four or five queen videos you know kurt loader's like you know uh, dead at the age of such and such freddie mercury and it was like this tears come down my face and it was like somebody hit me with a brick and i just i i didn't have words like the whole day um the other one was gary moore when gary moore died um I got to stand in the second row at Castle Donington 
1984 to see Gary Moore play. Nice. And um, you know, I make a joke. I have a, a weird eyebrow, and I tell people that my eyebrow is got this weird curve to it because Gary basically melted it off my face, um, and it never grew back. And it's a joke, but it's not really because if you never got to see Gary Moore perform live, it was otherworldly. The man. There's no words. Um, this is our deal, too, is we, we sort of, uh, we kind of came up in a time when rock yeah. was becoming less and less and less popular and, yeah. less, you know, just less relevant to uh, to the youth and what you know, and that's just, you know, time passes and that's just yeah. how it is right now. But um, we felt some kind of connection to it, some deep connection to it, and we related to all of that kind of stuff way more than the things that were ever currently going on. So uh, part of our sort of mission statement, part of our goal from all the years that we've been playing together is to sort of keep that alive and to keep it not just alive, but to sort of try to to evolve the genre if we can, you know, because there are other rock bands that right now that are getting, a lot of attention that mm-hmm. I'm not going to name their names. They are sort of rehashing what's been done, and mm-hmm. to me, that it's great. They're keeping the genre alive, but it also sort of reinforces the idea that everything's already been done, and the only thing we can do yeah. is look to the past and sort of, you know, yeah, put a put a paint on that and just you know ship that out. Um, and that reinforces the idea that, that rock is dead, and it's a you know it's dinosaur music. And <laughs> No, I don't agree with that at all. Oh, I we no, I don't at all. So, so what we want to do is to, you know, our contribution to the genre, hopefully, is uh, the idea that there is still so much more to be done. Yeah, you know, like it's so much more sounds that you can get out of this thing. Yeah, and that's why I love, even if it's not a music that I necessarily listen to. I love a musician who is willing to push boundaries. Um, for example, to me, uh, I don't know if you know who Ghost Mane is. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. That's the, the, he's like a rap sort of dude. Or... He do, he's like, like if Three Six Mafia and Nine Inch Nails did a record together. Yeah. Um, this kid was literally a NASA engineer wow. in Florida. Quit his job, move to L.A. and become a rapper. Wow. Now, how big of balls do you have to have to give up a six-figure job at NASA to say, you know what? I'm just going to move to L.A. and be a rapper. You know, like that is big, massive, lemmy-sized balls right there. Um, And the kid is, you know, like he he mixes these, this industrial style with the southern rap and these massive 808 beats and it's just it's this music that literally shouldn't work on any level and he has created the darkest densest hip hop music I've ever heard Um, and then he adds these visuals over it that are almost Rob Zombie-ish you know and it's like I don't listen to him a lot, 
But you got to respect the shit out of the kid just for just saying fuck genres and and I'm going to just do what I want. And he's completely doing it. And he's created a, a complete whole genre of his own because now you have people like City Morgue and Horror and and all of these other artists that are copying his blueprint, you know, or not, not necessarily copying it, but they're they're sort of doing the same thing and they're breaking down these boundaries of what, you know, when you have the, you know, country and rap thing. Yeah. Probably not two genres that should go together, but look, again, you're breaking down boundaries and creating, and that's awesome to me. You know, it it goes to, to me, it goes to the spirit of bands like Queen. That said, we're not going to be pigeonholed. Freddie would walk right. into a studio and you never knew what Freddie was going to do. Yeah. I'm going to perform a Broadway song. Great. Good old fashioned lover boy. I want to do a metal song. Stone Cold Crazy. We're going to yeah. do a fucking opera piece. Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, it right. just, they were, there were no rules. When, they, would not, they would not be confined to any, right. any one thing. And I do have a theory about this. I have a theory about um, why this is happening particularly right now. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, there's, there's a lot of negative things that can be and should be said about streaming services and about how that is sort of, you know, the physical medium of music mm-hmm. is gone. We, we don't get to, like, co- you know, collect vinyls, cassettes, and CDs anymore. And, uh, but, that, you know, something. but in that time, you sort of had to, you had to, like, lay your, your claim. You say, I'm a, I'm a rocker, I'm a, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a pop punk, I'm a hip-hop person, or whatever. Now that you can access everything... With your phone with your whatever your device and you you don't have to like any one particular thing we don't even have mtv to tell us <laughs> right. what to like anymore so now i think on the, the most the most positive thing about all this is that uh about the streaming stuff is that people will just listen to what they like and mm-hmm. not and they're sort of not told what to like Mm-hmm. And what? So I think like. I think people I think people right now are more open to different genres, mm-hmm. and that's when you see genres blending. And I think maybe that could be those two things could be sort of related. Yeah, I mean, that uh, you know you can easily push a genre very like out of its way and create something new with say something else. And I think that's really cool for most artists to do that. Yeah, I mean I make the joke. The great thing about modern technology is pretty much everyone can record a record now. Of course, the flip side of that is pretty much everyone can record a record now. So, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, um, you know, you say everyone has a novel in them. Well, great. Right. Not everyone should write a novel, though. Obviously, not everyone is talented enough to do it. Um it's great that bands have access to cheaper equipment and cheaper. I don't want to say cheaper. Bands have the ability to record at a much lower cost and Absolutely. cut out a lot of the middlemen and the overhead of the old days. You don't have to go through a record label. You don't have to have A and R. You don't have to have uh, no. all of this other stuff. Um, right. But again, that is a double-edged sword because. If you don't know how to do it correctly, you end up with a big-ass mess. And I can't tell you how many bands I've heard 
that music starts and you're like, yes, great music. And then the singer comes in and it's kind of like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're on the money, and this is, this is totally true. We've got our own little, um, yeah. you know, rinky dink set up here for, uh, for recording and <laughs> because, it, because it costs nothing to do it once you have the gear, right. that opens us up to experimentation. The only thing that it costs us is time and right. we can play around with all kinds of different sounds and we have, we've recorded hundreds of yeah. demos that are you know just the wildest variety of sounds you know we, nice. we might do an industrial song next we might nice. dive into some other shit like who knows man but um but like you said too the oversaturation now that everybody can do it everybody can do it yeah and now it's like wading through a big pool of shit to find those little gems you know um, yeah it's, it's you know the cool thing about this and it's very surreal to me is growing up in the era that we did, being a huge fan of like Metal Edge and Kerrang and Metallics and Circus Magazine. You know, obviously, you had your bedroom and you would post through your walls with all of the pictures of your heroes and all of that. And I have literally been able to interview many of the people that I had posters of growing up wow. that back then. The most that you could have hoped for is to write a letter to the fan club and possibly get like a signed picture back or something. You know, I have literally sat here and I've got to interview Mitch Malloy, uh, Troy Laketa, uh, Jeff Watson. I've interviewed uh, Doug Aldridge and guys that I had posters of growing up that I never dreamed that I would hold a conversation with. Um, the most surreal one for me. My no, metal hero is Zitro, the singer of Exodus. Oh. And I interviewed a country guy. And he says to me at the end of the interview, he's like, hey, you like Exodus, right? And I was like, yeah. I was like, kind of a weird question coming from you. Like, why? And he's like, well, he's like, I manage his son's band. And I was like, oh, Hatriot. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you want to inter interview Steve? And I was like fuck yeah dude like I thought he was bullshitting me you know like how, why is a country guy gonna know a thrash legend so I hang the phone up I go into the kitchen I start to make spaghetti and like 15 minutes later my phone rings I pick the phone up and he's like hey can I speak to CJ and I was like this is and he's like hey this is intro and I was just like Bullshit. And we talked for two and a half hours. Like wow. we had known each other our entire life. And today, like even seven years later, it's so surreal to me that I got to talk to one of the guys. I stood outside the club on Sunset Strip trying to fucking meet <laughs> at 14 years old, you know. Um, so it's crazy that. You know, and even whether it's big stars like that or whether it's, you know, up and coming guys like you guys or, or whatever, I, I feel so blessed to be able to do this, man, and to just conversate about love of the art and love of music and, and different random things. Oh, um, yeah, man. Power of the internet. The feeling is, is mutual. This, yeah. this was 
not as easy to do as it is now. It's, yeah. And the, the connection is so much easier yeah. to make now. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And, and yeah, you know, I try, we both try because there's a lot of things to uh, sort of look on the dark side about, but you got to yeah. find the bright side everything. And, and the internet is a, it's an incredible tool if you use it right, especially for, you know, like you said, like meeting people that are important to you in your life, people that you never thought you could yeah. speak to. Just I networking, like, I've got a, I got a friend who is in California, who has a power metal band um, with four other guys that he has never met in person. Uh, the singers from Sweden, the guitar players from Spain, the drummers in Italy. Uh, he plays keyboards in L.A. and they have this amazing power metal band, and they wow. are literally in four different parts of the world, and their band exists basically over Zoom, you know. And um, they recorded, or they're in the process of recording their debut record, and they've literally done it entirely over Zoom, you know. And um, it's the craziest thing, like, dude, like, 10 years ago, you could have never pulled that off, like, you know, like, it's so nuts that, you know, like, bands used to, I know, somebody would record a tape, and then they would send it to somebody and you know the bigger bands did that that could afford it now it's just okay let me record this part on an mp3 and we'll ship it over here through dropbox and then you dropbox it back and it's so crazy the power of technology right. now that um right and, and when everybody locked down we uh we yeah. were doing that we we had to learn how to uh, collaborate with people without being physically present with them. Right. And that was like really, you know, it was an exciting thing. It was a great way to, to use that time, you know. Um, and I think, every, you know, people who did it, people who tried it, they all grew from it. You have to learn yeah. how to be your own producer. You have to be your own, you know, sort of your own boss with all that stuff. But yeah, it's a really amazing thing. It, it showed what we can do with this technology. Yeah. For good, <laughs> yeah. you can use it in so many ways, but there yeah. are positive ways you can use it too. And making music is definitely one of them. Absolutely. Where do where do people find the band? Like, um, as far as like social media, um, sure. store wise, that kind of stuff. Any merchandise, uh, live shows, uh, videos, well, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right now we don't have any shows. Like I said, it's us too. Right. So uh, we, we released uh, two singles. Um, we have a ton more music coming. But, uh, you know, they can just find me after hours on YouTube, find our song Evangeline and Blow Me Away. Um, and uh, we're all on, we're on Facebook. By the way, we're like amazed that the After Hours didn't exist before as a band name. We thought for sure that would have been taken. There but, is uh, there is a Swedish band called After Hour, but oh, no, they're like not. they're a power metal band, and it's all one word. Um, uh, okay. Basically, so what they're known for is they did they were on some soundtrack, and they did this really sweet ass um, version of Sympathy for the Devil. Um, oh, cool. and they did this, cool. uh, they, they did this almost final countdown style cover of, of sympathy for the devil. And that's kind of what <laughs> they've been known for. Um, like a very power metal, uh... yeah, like it, it's, it's a very, 
I, I don't know how to describe it um other than to say look it up but um it's it's very well done i don't think they've done like a ton of records or anything i do know they're from sweden um but it was very random i came across them on a record someone sent me that was like all cover songs um so i used to have a radio show called gotcha covered which was just all like cover songs including like veins of jenna um and whatnot uh when they did uh their smoke on the water cover um yeah. <laughs> what are the most unique versions of Smoke on the Water ever done? Probably the coolest one because... I, um, I played Mexico with those guys during when they were promoting that album. Yeah, that like... Album. like the, the cool thing was, is, you know, after hearing so many versions of Smoke on the Water, um, yeah. hearing that version of it was <clears throat> so cool because it was completely different, but it worked. Like, it right. just was a complete reimagining of it that yeah. still worked. And I, that impressed me because, you know, everybody's heard 12,000 copies of Smoke on the Water, so you get kind of bored with it. So when someone well, can... That album was really good. I thought the yeah. song choices were fantastic. Yeah. Uh, said, so, so I told you I, I, I played guitar. Yeah. Uh, filling it. So what happened? You know the history of things, Jenna. Lizzie Devine mm-hmm. was the original singer. He also played guitar. Right. When Jesse came in, who did that cover album, right? They need a guitar guy. So that was me for a lot of shows. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I got. To and I still, I still talk to Jesse on occasion, like just really random. Yeah. yeah like every. Every once in a blue moon, Jesse will just like pop on the messenger and be like, "Dude, what, what yeah, are you doing?" And you know, he's serious as hell. If you if you talk to him again, tell him I said hi. Tell him Bruce says hi. I will, dude. Because, uh, like I said, I like I don't contact him. He would just randomly, like, just pop up out of nowhere, and he'd be like, "How you doing? You know, how's your day?" Blah blah blah, and we'll talk for like five or ten minutes, and. Then I like won't hear from him again for like eight or nine months. So it's like, that sounds that's on brand for Jesse, man. That's exactly yeah. How he like rolls. <laughs> um, no, that guy is fucking mysterious. I, yeah. I, I got a he. Uh, I saw him somewhere in Hollywood, and he. I saw him getting arrested because he was cruising around, open wielding uh, nunchucks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he was like doing all these nunchuck tricks on Kawenda. Outside the bar strip there, nice. And I think uh, I think they like threw him in the drunk tank or something that night, or or they they gave him a stern talk. I saw him. I saw him speaking to the cops, and the cops holding his nunchucks. And I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of like Jesse." Yeah, Jesse. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's awesome. Like, I just um, that's awesome. Like, um, (laughs) I there's so many great. I, another thing about the music, man, there's so many great characters, you know, like it's almost, I don't want to say it's like a movie, but in a lot of ways, it's almost like a, it's like the world's greatest running reality show. Like there's, there's yeah. so many characters. There's, there's characters you love. There's characters you hate. There's characters, you know, you know, like for me, I give Tommy Lee credit for being a great drummer, but every yeah. time Tommy Lee opens his mouth, I just want to stab myself in the face with a spite because it's like, what kind of outrageous bullshit lie are you going to come up with now? Mr. Oh, I used to drink two and a half gallons of vodka every day. You didn't. Why would you even like, dude, if you're going to lie, at least make it believable. 
Nobody can drink two and a half gallons of vodka. Like your blood alcohol would literally be like we and we literally when he when he came out with that, we did the math. Alcohol content versus body weight. Yeah. His blood alcohol count wouldn't have been point something something. It would have been three point four seven. So he literally would have been like a hundred times over the legal limit. He would have been dead. But he insists, oh, I drank that much. And it's like, dude, there's no humanly way for you to drink two and a half gallons of vodka. You know? Like, do you know how much two and a half gallons of vodka is, bro? Like, that's a fucking serious amount. Like, John John Bonham died after, what, I think 12 shots? It was? Okay, John Bonham died after 12 shots, and you drank 25 times that? Yeah. Come on, dude. Like, just... But this is the thing, and this is what we love about the crew, man, is they clearly, yeah. a lot of the stories are exaggerated. Yeah. But, dude, that's like, that's, that's, that's the charm of, that's that rock star right. mystery shit. Yeah. That but that's what I'm saying. Them. Like, there's, it's, <laughs> it's like the world's greatest reality show. Because you have characters like Axel, like Sebastian Bach, that are kind of the villains without being the villains. And then you have, like, the nice guys, and you have, you know, the women of Lita and Doro and and, and them. And there's there's all of these amazing characters that, you know, it's, um, you know, when you watch History of the World Part Two, yeah, um, it, it's kind of like the, the microcosm of it, of of people like Chris Holmes and the band Seduce and all of these great bands that yeah. even now survive within that that world that okay, Chris isn't a major player current anymore, but you have other people that still have that same attitude and that same whatever and you know, I mean it's literally just like this long running reality show. <laughs> Oh. You know what's funny, and this is this. Now we can now we can get. I'm gonna have him take it, but like you mentioned, Axel being yeah. this villain. Michael, who's who's the nicest fucking rock star we've ever met of all the rock stars? Axel fucking Rose yeah. is literally the yeah. sweetest guy ever. And Bruce, you want to take it as far as if we can, we can tell you the story of how we like met. The short version. Yeah. yeah. So I had an ex-girlfriend invite me over uh, to, like, Christmas. Like, no, it was Christmas night. Yeah. And Bruce came over, and we were just hanging out, drinking wine, and we were, like, I had, like, the idea of, like, why don't we say hi to Axel? He currently is here. It was, like, Macaulay Colton and uh, Axel Rose. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Axel Rose, right? Because <laughs> why not? And, um, you know, the worst he's going to say is, like, get the fuck out of here. So yeah. we go ahead over there. Um, we ran the intercom. Uh, I guess it was like his housemate or whoever it was that like answered it, and we were expecting her to come down and say hi to us. It was Axel, really coming down. Like he was wearing like Nike. Uh, no, no, he was wearing he was wearing his Kings jersey with like sweatpants and Nike shoes that say Axel Rose on it. Mm-hmm. Right in. Right in. Right and it was really cool. And he showed us uh, a Chinese democracy before he was even, like, coming out. Nice. This was, like, 2005, 
So the Chinese yeah. democracy was still a few years out. He invited us in his home studio. Nice. And yeah, total sweetheart. We're, we're like, we're 18. We're like fresh out of high school. Yeah. And we're in Axel's fucking house listening to his new album. That we're like, no one's heard before. Yeah. This, like, this, like, he's isolating tracks. He's like, oh yeah, I love this Buckethead solo. Oh, Brian May played on this one. Yeah. We're like, is this fucking real? Or we're just looking at each other. Yeah. But no clue. No, to this day, we do not know why he let us in his house, why he decided it's, to entertain us like that. You know, it, it's funny that I have learned the people that you think will be the most standoffish sometimes oh, yeah. are the greatest and the ones you think are going to be the easiest to deal with. Um, yeah. For example, Sebastian Bach, for the very same reason as you say, Axel. I've had three different interactions with Sebastian, and Sebastian has been stand-up all three times. Wow, cool. The first time was in Detroit. They did this thing called Thunderfest, and it was this big music convention, and they brought in these musicians. They were going to form up the Thunderfest band. Now, it was four musicians of, you know, superstar Pedigree is what they said, but they weren't announcing who the band was. Well, the band ended up being Sebastian Bach as a singer. Um, the bass player was uh, Rudy Sarzo. Nico McBain was the drummer, and I can't remember who the guitar player was, but I want to say it was. God, I can't remember who the. I, I want to say it was Reb Beach. I think it was. I think it was Reb. Um, but they held the meet and greet, and you know we got in line and we stood for hours to meet Sebastian I thought Sebastian was going to be a dick and I was wearing this t-shirt it was like a wheel of fortune one you've probably seen it a million times but it basically said G blank F blank CK and then like Y blank blank R you know um and then on the back it said would you like to buy a vowel <laughs> I walked up to the table and Sebastian looks at my shirt and he's like dude that shirt is sweet I want it so being like young and stupid, I just pulled the shirt off and like dropped it on the table in front of him. Because <laughs> you're fucking, you know, like a rock star says he wants your shirt. Okay, great. Here. So I walked around Thunderfest the rest of the day with no fucking shirt on because I gave my shirt to Sebastian. Wow. Four years later, I'm in New York and I'm walking down 52nd Avenue and... I see this fucking blonde guy who's about three inches taller than everyone else standing outside a theater smoking a cigarette. And I look at my girlfriend at the time and I was like, that's Sebastian Bach. She's like, how do you know that? And I was like, not that many six foot five blonde guys that are going to be standing out smoking a cigarette dressed <laughs> as Dr. Jekyll. Right. He uh, was yeah. performing Jekyll and Hyde and he had snuck outside to smoke cigarettes. So I run across traffic and I run over there. And as soon as he turns around, he looks at me and he smiles and he's like, hey, go fuck yourself. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, I was like, dude, you totally remembered me. Um, so we talked for a few minutes. And then I guess about five years ago, he was playing the fair here. And he was so loud that five blocks away in my apartment, I could hear him crystal clear. I just opened the window and I was listening to the show. So I tweeted him, thanks for the free concert. 
When he seen my name, he's like, hey, are you the go fuck yourself guy? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, where the fuck have you been, dude? I haven't seen you in, you know, so we hold this whole conversation over this fucking shirt from 32 years ago. Um, yeah, so, you know, and Sebastian's always the guy who's supposed to be confrontational. Um, on the flip side of it, I will tell you that there is a certain singer who's supposed to be one of the nicest guys in rock who I wouldn't piss on if he was on fire. <laughs> Uh, it's Don Dockin, basically. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. That, 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 that girlfriend who, who got us into Axles? Yeah. Who was his dad? Who was her dad? It was Don Dockin, actually. Really? Yeah, like, <laughs> I interviewed Don, and I wanted to talk to him so bad, and he spent 20 minutes insulting the city of Detroit. Yeah. And I was um, like, do you realize I'm from Detroit, right? And he's like, fuck Detroit. They have shitty clubs and shitty fans. And I was just like, all right, tell you what. Uh, so I called a buddy at like the Metro Times, which is one of the bigger magazines in Detroit. And I played him the interview. So he transcribed the goddamn thing and put it in Metro Times. Wow. Now, basically, the owner of Harpo's will not hire Don. At all for anything because he insulted Detroit so badly, um, but it was just to me it was a dick move. Like, look, I'm trying to help you promote your shit. Your career obviously is dying fast, yeah. and you spend the whole interview just insulting Detroit. Like, why would you do that? Like, I don't know if you were drunk or just did something happen to you in Detroit that. Um, but yeah, like I never, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it though man you never know you never yeah. never know you know Axel's got a reputation yeah and we we from personal experience it just we refute that completely um and uh you know Don Dock I don't think anybody thinks about him in the first place yeah. but I don't think he's got he's got you know enough clout to uh have that kind of attitude but yeah but I don't know time, I can also say that everyone has their bad days. That's, but sometimes, yeah. like, yeah. articles can easily say, like, right, right. oh, that guy's a dick because he was this. And it's like, he could yeah. have been the nicest guy ever, and he just... Was yeah, so I don't wrong. know. Like, I I know it was my uh, only interaction. I know you hear stories about the great white guys. I've had multiple interactions with them because one of my good friends was engaged to uh, Michael Lardy for a long time. And uh, they've been nothing but awesome guys. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, there are so many that I've met that almost all of them have been really great people. And I don't have bad things to say about very many people. Like, I just, um, Johnny Winters was one of the most boring interviews I ever did. Um, but it's Johnny Winters, and Johnny's not really known for being the most talkative guy, anyways. Um, Ember Falls is the only band I will talk shit about um, because one, they were a new band at the time. Two, I went through so much bullshit to work with that label to interview this new band for them. They showed up 25 minutes late to the interview and then spent the entire interview 
talking about how drunk they got at the Singer Brothers' wedding. Tried to steer them back to the record. They didn't want to talk about the record. They wanted to talk about how drunk they got. That's fun. Yeah. And I, after about 10 minutes, I was just like, all right, cool, you're done. Um, And he's like, well, that wasn't a long interview. And I'm like, well, you know, you're just going to talk about getting drunk. You know, like, you're not even a party band. If you're like Steel Panther and you want to talk about getting drunk, all right, cool, I get it. You fucking sound like Nightwish. Why are you talking about getting drunk? Like, you're a goddamn... Fucking symphonic metal band. Why are you obsessed about you know like there's nothing on your record where you talk about beer or or drinking or nothing. You literally are singing about Viking shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's just like we did this and we did that, and it's, nobody cares, dude. Nobody cares. Like, um, you know, and it. It was horrible. Like, it, they were so assholish about it that, you know, um, many years later, they got into this beef with this other band. So when my friend, who is friends with this other band, says, hey, do you know Ember Falls? And I was like, unfortunately. Well, they're in a beef with this band. And I was like, that does that not fucking surprise me in the least. Like, it just, it would be completely fucking in character for them. Um, so... And ended up they started it and they were bullying the other band because they didn't like that. They thought their style was too close to theirs or something. And it's like, all right, dude, you're a second-rate Nightwish knockoff. Who are you to fucking say anything about a band copying you when you've literally fucking ripped off Nightwish right down to having... Yeah, Yeah. so, like, whatever. Um, And on a a really quick side note, man, thank you for doing this. Yeah, dude... We're sort of promoting, you know, and, and, and trying to, you know, help out new artists yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, Always, more, man, like... Man, like, it, it's really appreciated. Yeah, like, I, dude, I love doing this. Like, this is what I live for. Um, you know, music is who I am, is what I'm about. Um, and you know your stuff, man. Yeah, yeah you're, like... You're, you're dropping names, and we're... we're I, I will tell you that my music collection on my computer right now um, is about 1.5 million songs across about 112 genres. Sure. Um, so uh, when I say the music god CJ Plain, uh, that is not a name that I just come up with one day that I thought was cute. Uh, it was given to me by a music teacher in seventh grade. Um, my dad is obsessed with Bob Seger and I grew up in the front seat of a Peterbilt truck Mm -hmm. listening to Bob Seger and Blackfoot and bands like that we didn't have laptops, cell phones, none of that in 1975 and 1976 I spent my entire day reading the liner notes of vinyl LPs and 8 tracks and shit like that so I can tell you that Bob Seger's uh, Nine Lives was recorded on April 26, 1974 at Ypsilanti Studios by Bob Marlett and Bob Zizaki. I can tell you all this random, insane shit that is completely useless knowledge. Um, a teacher made a music reference one day in music class. I corrected her. Oh, you're wrong. What do you know? I'm a music teacher. I have a master's in music. 
but then you need to go back to school because you're wrong. Of course, she looks it up. She discovers she's wrong, and she's like, well, aren't you just the little music god? That stuck. Everyone called me that because when I came back from California with that suitcase full of music, the Midwest, that music had not made it to the Midwest yet. Okay. They were still listening to Casey Kasem. They were still listening to Michael Jackson Thriller. They were still listening to Prince. They were listening to Huey Lewis and the News and Madonna and that type of shit. Right. So when the geeky kid showed back up with long hair and a suitcase full of, you know, Motley Crue and Grim Reaper and Shark Island and uh, all these other bands that were breaking at the time, it was kind of like, what the hell is this? Everyone started stealing, not stealing, but I would just give them to people to listen to. Hey, check out this one. Check out this band. And then they would bring them back and be like, hey, do you have anything that sounds like this band? And we would had this big like racket where we were trading all these tapes back and forth. And over summer vacation, when we came back to school the next year, everybody was wearing ripped jeans. Everybody had leather coats. Everybody started having the hair. And the principal called me into the office one day and he's like, what did you do? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what is this racket that you brought back with you? And I was like, why is it me? And he's like, nobody in this school had long hair before you came back with long hair. And he's like, now we have, all the guys have long hair, ripped jeans are everywhere. And it's like, it's just the music. It's just catching up, you know? And it just, that was who I was. I was the music kid. I was what everyone knew. If they had a music question, they come to me. I need a band that sounds like this. Okay, well then, here's this band, this band, or this band. And even now, you know, I can tell you, if you like Queensryche, here's a hundred bands that sound like Queensryche. If you like Motley Crue, here's a hundred bands that sound like Motley Crue. Um, sure. It's kind of what I do, so... Um, but, but, but serious respect, because this is something also, also that we've talked about at length, is, uh, you know, the... the, the big reason that we do what we do is that it is, it's not a service, but it's like mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a communication. There's, you know, yeah. everybody can't be a musician. There has, has to be an audience, you know, and they kind of work, you know, one can't exist without the other. And that's the thing, you know, there have to be, there has to be music fans, there have to be fans of art and there have to be artists, you know? And then you can exist somewhere in between as well. I don't know. Yeah. Do you play an instrument? Do you like do any stuff? I actually, I do play bass uh, badly. Yeah. <laughs> I play bass. I play bass mainly because no one else wanted to and no one else could. And we could never find anyone. Um, funny story of my first band. When I formed my first band when I got back from California. What do you call <laughs> we were actually called We Are Fucked, like F-U-C-T. <laughs> um, and we were, we played this kind of music, like it was not metal, but it wasn't really hairband music. It was, it was supposed to sound like, like, kind of like Grim Reaper-ish, where it kind of, or like maybe like Alcatraz or Steeler in that rain. Um, we didn't have a guitar player who was able to do it. And um, 
every guitar player that we auditioned. I could play Metallica. I could play ACDC. I could play Eddie Van Halen. And we were like, yay. Because <laughs> everyone could do that. But nobody could play anything with any emotion, with any style, with any flair whatsoever. They were like machines. The Eddie guys would come in and they'd be... You know, the Metallica guys would come in and ja, 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 and it was just like, you know, it was like listening to a bunch of robots, and I hated it, and I was so close to giving up. I was in foster care, and we had this court hearing, and on the way to the court hearing, the social worker said, I have to stop at this house. Great. I'm sitting in the car. I roll the window down because it's hot. I hear this guitar player. I don't know where it's coming from, but he's playing his ass off. So I'm out of the car, and I'm running through yards, looking over fences, trying to find where this guitar player is coming from. I finally get to this yard about four houses down. They got this wood fence that's about nine foot tall. So I'm, like, climbing up the side of this wood fence. There's this little Native American kid sitting in the backyard playing a Steve I. Ibanez playing uh, Gary Moore play, uh, uh, Victims of the Future I think is what it was or something along that line but he was playing his ass off so I like climb up over the edge and I'm like literally laying over the edge of the fence because I can't hold myself up so I'm like laying on my waist like over the top of this wood fence and I yell at him I'm like hey are you in a band he turns around and he goes, no. And I was like, hey, want to be in a band? <laughs> and he's like, do you have a band? And I was like, uh, kind of. I was like, I don't have a guitar player. So he comes in and he just fucking kills it. You know, and he's like the piece that we've been missing. So we play for probably four months. We win the local battle of the bands. We get to headline the local arts festival. Um they bring in the headliner, and it's Jerry Lee Lewis. So we are opening for Jerry Lee Lewis, which is comical because stylistically, we're nothing like Jerry Lee Lewis whatsoever. And, and it's Jerry Lee Lewis, of all people. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a cranky old guy who's known for being volatile. We get up there, we play our ass off, we're playing the last song. I look over to the right where the stage exit is, and Jerry Lee Lewis is standing on the side of the stage watching us. Wow. And my first thought is, oh, that can't be good. Like, why is Jerry Lee Lewis not on his bus, and why is he standing on stage watching us? So we finish the last song, and we walk over to the side to get off the stage so he can come on, and he stops us. Like, he puts his arm up and he stops us. And I'm like, hello. And he's like, you know, for a bunch of kids, you don't actually suck. And I was wow. like, awesome. Wow. From you, I will take that as a compliment because it's probably as close to a compliment as you're ever going to get. So, yeah, like, it's just one of the cool things I've got to do. But um, I do play bass not very well. Um, I haven't played in years. I don't actually own one. Um, I do own a guitar that I don't know how to play. <laughs> um, hopefully one day I'll teach myself to play it. Um, even though the dumb thing only has five strings on it. Cause 
the day job. We're both uh, teachers. We're both music teachers. No, teachers. I'll get with you guys because my little one, he wants to learn yeah. to play guitar. Like he'll take the guitar. It only has five strings because I buy a new set of strings and I go to tune the damn thing, and I always break the bottom right. string. Yeah. I got, I got you covered, man. Oh, we'll talk about. You know, yeah, like, it, he wants to learn so bad. Like, he will take it and set it on his lap, and he will just, like, go like this on the strings. And I'm yeah. like, he's like, can you teach me to play guitar? And I'm like, I don't know how to play guitar. Like, I barely know how to play Dude. bass. Like, I can read tablature. So. I, I, will, I will write you. I'll write you, and we'll, we'll figure something out. I'm gonna yeah, like. For sure. I, dude, I would love that. That would be so amazing. Like, I want him to be uh-huh. musical because he loves music. Um, he yeah. just, you know, like I don't have the knowledge to teach him correctly. I want him to learn correctly. So, um, this is what this is what both of us do. I, yeah, I consider it done. Nice. No problem. I love that, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. No, so, got to nurture. This is the thing. You got to nurture those kids. You got to yeah. Them, you know, keep the rock alive, man. Yeah, absolutely. We both music lover our parents that just love music, and so we're yeah. constantly getting. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. Granted, we also went out and you, found our own. And you never know. Like, you never know. Like, I grew up, my grandfather is a huge old, he loves old country and bluegrass. Mm-hmm. I hated bluegrass because I didn't understand it. And it was just hillbilly music to me. Um, and I was a fan of hair metal and, and thrash. So I hated bluegrass. We took a trip to Kentucky. My grandpa wanted to go to Kentucky. To see Renfro Valley, which is the Bluegrass Hall of Fame. We get to Renfro Valley. They have this big-ass giant barn dance they hold every Friday. I'm pissed off because we have to sit through this freaking bluegrass show. You know, Alabama Joe and the shit kickers. And I'm sitting there and I'm just being pissed. And Grandpa's like, give it a chance. And I was like, it's fucking bluegrass. It's horrible. So I'm watching the band, and the guitar player trades with the violin, who trades with the dobro, who trades with the fiddle, who trades with the banjo, back to the lead guitar, and I'm like, holy shit. Grandpa's like, what? I was like, I get it. He's like, what do you get? I was like, bluegrass is fucking heavy metal for hillbillies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. I, was, I was like, it's metal for hillbillies. And I was like, the fuck do you mean by that? And I was like, lead solo, lead solo, lead solo, yeah. rhythm, 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 lead solo. It's metal for hillbillies. And my grandpa's like, Jesus Christ. He's like, only you would come up with some bullshit like that. But I've loved bluegrass every since then because... I get it now. Like I understand the concept of what bluegrass was, and I didn't before. Before it was just whatever. It's just a fucking just barn burner. Yeah. Well, that was that was it. Like I watched this guitar player literally play in a style that was very Eddie Van Halen-ish. Like I mean, he was just burning up, and then he kind of did this little tapping thing he did, you know, and. Then he, what really made it connect for me is he did this almost Michelangelo Batio thing where he was playing with his fingers like this. Yeah, and, and then 
he wasn't he wasn't strumming as he played. He was just playing with his fingers, tapping the notes. And then he held his other finger above it and started doing the same thing. So he was tapping the notes. And I was I had never seen a guitar player that could hit the notes without strumming the notes. Right. Like I didn't realize you could do that. Like I thought, okay, you have to pick the note with the harmonic to get the note. No, you can like hammer ons and shit like that is what he was doing. And it was just like this whole new concept to me of you know, and then I learned about finger picking and different styles that of guitar playing that you can use, you know, and it, like I said, it was just this whole you, you they say you learn something new every day. That was what I learned that day is guitar playing was what's much more in depth than just hair metal like oh, yeah. you know like no, you know. music is notes are notes and yeah. um, what's really interesting to me too what, when you tell me about this is like um, you know we are guitar players we mm-hmm. you know primarily guitar players that's like kind of what that's the world we're into so we like we, we learn about all this kind of stuff but people who are primarily listeners of this kind of music I always think it's so cool I was thinking it's so cool that um, that you guys pick up on those things too, like you know, yeah. hammer on, and then you look at the mechanics of it and you appreciate not just the songs and the music, but the mechanics. <laughs> Sorry, I did. songs, but the guitar playing is insane. You got your uh, your kid there? Yeah, he's. Can you find it? I think it's standing up, baby. It's too <laughs> It's behind you. Turn around. Turn directly around. It should be right there. Give me one second. Yeah, I think I'm fine, man. Yeah, so my buddy built me this one, the one who learned to play bass uh, from Lemmy. He built me this. It's a knockoff uh, Fender Ibanez. Um, Got it. It's got like, it's got like the Fender style body, um, but it's yeah. got like the Ibanez neck and head, and it's actually got the very cool Punisher glow in the dark inlays um, nice. that he put in there. So um, I don't actually know how to play it, <laughs> so it's never actually been used. Um, we taught five year olds, if we can teach five year olds, we got you covered. Yeah, um, but like I said, I've I've put three different sets of strings on it, and I always break the bottom string. So, yes, yes. Um, you know, I basically have five strings on it. <laughs> Walking through that. But, uh, yeah, that's what he'll be essentially learning on. So, um, Love it, man. So to wrap this up, we're going to yeah. go out by asking them a single random question of insanity. Uh, I love it. To my, to my um, left <laughs> on this screen, I have a giant list of um, questions of all different styles and categories, but we're going to give you guys the music one. So pick a number between 1 and 50, and we will ask you that question. Of course. 1 and 50. Uh, I'm going to say 37. 37. Question 37. What are three 
of your favorite music venues from anywhere around the world that you might have been? Well, I'm definitely going to say the, uh, the Viper Room is probably my number one favorite. Second one was before it was closed. It was the Key Club. Yeah. Formerly Gazaris, yeah. Yeah, which is, of course, formerly Gazaris. Yeah. Um, That's why I said yeah, because it was like Gazaris. I, I yeah, obviously there was places I played, but um, but also just the venue itself is just Dome. awesome. Yeah, Tokyo Dome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, uh, I don't know. What would you think? Say venues like like just just venues that we that I play or just venues that you, even if you've seen a concert oh. there or um, okay. you know. Sure. I mean, Tokyo Dome Forum. Uh, probably say like Forum Wembley. Wembley would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Are right, you got a big three? I, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the forum. Nice. I I've never been to Wembley. I have been to Castle Donington, and I've been to oh, Bakken. And yeah, oh, 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 man. oh man, I bet that was fucking awesome. Yeah, Can I went. I went yeah. to Bakken for the sole purpose of seeing Creator. Um. I'd never wow. gotten to see Creator in America. Every time they come here, there's always something going on. I don't get to see them. Uh, so yeah. one week I decided, you know what? I'm not missing Creator anymore. I am going to see them. I got on a plane and I flew to Germany and went to Wacken for the sole purpose of seeing Creator. Because <laughs> so, um, they are my favorite thrash band. Um, and if you've never seen Creator live, it is yeah. unlike any band, man. They are just a fucking force um so we're familiar with them i, I yeah. definitely not you know, i'm gonna do my three really quick i'm yeah. gonna do i'm because I, I got them mm-hmm. like yes the tokyo dome is nuts because that's like three forums in one venue i think it's 70 thousand 70 80 yeah. yep. people which i can't even, can't even imagine yeah um uh i'm also gonna go with the viper room because we've had some really good times there nice but I'm, I'm going to shout it out to a smaller one that's here in the San Fernando Valley. We're in the 818 here. Uh, and it's called the Maui Sugar Mill Saloon. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that place is like a small, very small, divey, divey little bar. But, like, it's kind of like the West Coast CBGBs are coming that. It's like you never know who, who's going to pop in. Slash will pop in every now and then. Yep. Jovan Mace. Jovan Amasa, uh, the guys from, like, Lonnie, nice. like, Klimberg. Like, Blue Fighters have played a couple secret shows there. Nice. Just you never know. Like it's and, and we play there a bunch of times. But yeah, there's the, the Maui Sugar Mill Saloon in uh, Reseda. It's such a cool little hidden yeah. treasure, and it's got so much vibe and so much atmosphere. And people you wouldn't imagine have played on this teeny yeah. tiny little stage in the middle of the valley. It's like the coolest secret, like no one knows about. So. I gotta shout them out. Yeah, those are the best shows. Like, those are the best shows. Like when, when you, you get to see the bands that shouldn't be on a stage that they're on. Um, oh yeah. I had a buddy in 1980. I think it was 1980 or 1993, 9293. Um, he owned this club in Grand Rapids um, called Club Eastbrook. It was this tiny little club, not very big. Um, and he booked uh, when Megadeth. Uh, Testament, Suicidal Tendencies, and Anthrax, I think it was, uh, when they they did uh, Clash of the Titans. And 
Greggy got it in his head. I'm going to book Clash of the Titans. And I was like, you're seriously going to put Megadeth and Testament on a stage that is like the size of a king-size bed? And he's like, dude, I got to do something to get people in here. And I was like, dude, they're too big. Dude, it was so fucking loud in there. Like, this... Club Eastbrook was an awesome club. They had great sound, but it simply was not built for a band that loud. Like, like he normally would book, like, guys like you guys, or he would book, like, Living Color, or um, he had Winger and Lynch Mob there, uh, which was probably the biggest band. Uh, But when all those bands showed up, when they walked in and they seen the size of this room, they were just kind of like... I think they were terrified because they realized, like, yeah, this is going to be fucking pure chaos because, you know, it was, I think it was like 400 people, 450 people tops is what they were supposed to hold. So you've got, like, Megadeth and Anthrax booked into a room of, like, 400 people, you know. Now, of course, 10 times as many people wanted tickets that couldn't get in, so there were people outside and... He just basically opened all of the doors and let people, like, stand in the parking lot to listen. Because you could hear it. I mean, it was fucking nuts. But um, one of the loudest shows I've ever seen. Um, it's just unbearably loud. Like, um, I would tell you, don't ever book Testament for a room that small. It was funny. But great guys. Um, Testament are really fun guys. So, um Anywho, we are going to wrap this up because I've gone way longer than I planned to go, and I'm sure these guys have other things to do other than uh, sit and listen to me ramble about. We got stupidity. a lot more beer to drink, man. Yeah. Do what? We got more beer to drink. Oh, more beer to consume. We're gonna get all crazy, man. No, you got, uh, no, you got beer. I'm just stuck over here with my shitty iced tea. So. Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta, you gotta Irish that up. Um, <laughs> right. Dude. Uh, well, thank you, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if we plug our stuff one more time. Yeah. Uh, by all means, tell everyone again who you are, where to find you, uh, yeah. the names of your singles. Um, sure. Listen to these guys. Check them out. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah. Chris, thank you so, yeah. so much for having us. So we are the After Hours. We are uh, based sort of pretty much in Los Angeles, California, the greater Los Angeles this area. area. We do have two. We have two singles out: Evangeline and most recently "Blow Me Away," which is a post-apocalyptic, big monster mamma jamma. And uh, we got more music coming down the pipeline. So you can find us on Facebook at the After Hours Official. You can find us on uh, Instagram at the After HRS, as in like you know the small hours. Um, <laughs> We're on all that kind of different social media. I'm sure oh, you know, it's, all, it's all linked, yeah. TikTok and Twitter and all those things. And yes. we're doing our best. So if you like rock and roll and yeah. want to hear maybe like a new spin on it, that's all we're trying to provide, man. Like yeah. We're just trying to give everybody a little escape and a good time right now because we yeah. need it. We think everyone else does. Yeah, that's, that's for sure, man. Like The world needs bands like you guys because this... Everything is too serious. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with songs about state of the world and politics and different things. And it's cool if that's your genre and that's what you do. 
but you need that balance like you said earlier you need the you know nothing but a good time style songs and thank god for jack daniels and the songs that just are take your mind off it and you know yeah. yeah just good time songs like you know like whether it's this genre or not you know like when you think about all of the great songs from across the ages the ones that really stand the test of time are those ones even like if you get into hip-hop what are the great hip-hop songs you think about you know bust a move fight for your right to party no sleep till brooklyn uh you know it takes two you know songs that they were fun songs you know when you think of rock music again don't stop believing rocky like a hurricane born to be my baby you know, yeah, well, songs that were just anthemic in theme, in style, in, um, and it's why I mentioned that song by Eclipse because it's that same kind of song. It's just that. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah. Dude, and, I'll and send I you the. That. I'll send you the link. I'll send you the both link. You're gonna fucking love it, bro. Both of our dads are deadheads, like hardcore, great. <laughs> and that's like not at all. You know, because you're not supposed to like your parents' music. Yeah. But like they are I know, it's fucking they they but they they, they are big time in the Grateful Dead and I and I tell them, I say, you know, I can't name and I, I bet the regular person on the street can't name five Grateful Dead songs, but they can sure as hell name five Kiss songs, five Mo- Motley Crue songs, Guns and R- I mean easily way more than the Grateful Dead. So that I think that that says it all, that this yeah. kind of escapist, sort of like entertaining music, even though there's not much substance to it always, and sometimes there is, a lot of times there is, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it, you know, whether you like it or not, you recognize it, and you yeah. know it. And that's you the thing, like, that that's the exact thing, that's the exact thing, is, even yeah. if you don't recognize the whole song, you recognize... Yeah, like, the deadheads, they love, they know kickstart my heart. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So, well, it's they shout at the devil and, and yeah. nothing but a good time and talk dirty to me and all that crap. Around and around, right? Right, yeah. they know it. Well, funny, funny conversation I had with a friend the other day. I was listening to Huey Lewis in the news, greatest hit. Mm-hmm. Now uh-huh. you don't you don't realize how many Huey Lewis songs you actually know. No. Yeah. Until you listen to something like that, because I'm listening to this thinking, okay, I probably know three or four Huey Lewis songs. And as I'm listening to that, I'm realizing I know every one of these. How the fuck do I know like 27 Huey Lewis songs? Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. But, and my friend is black. And he's like, literally, I know all of these songs. So you're talking across genres and boundaries. Here's a guy who's. African American and a hip hop artist who knows Huey Lewis songs because he grew up and he heard them on TV shows and and the same with Rick Springfield. I don't think yeah. you realize how many Rick Springfield songs you actually know. Rick Springfield. Yeah, oh, I do too. And again, listen to his greatest hits. You realize yeah. you know every single song on that goddamn record. Yep, you know, yeah, and it's yep. like, how do I know so many Rick Springfield songs when I don't actually listen to Rick Springfield that much? You know. Um, wow. Yeah. So this is the after hours, and um, thank you guys for coming on here and doing this. Thank you for listening to me ramble and tell stupid stories and check these guys out to tell them you heard them on the Noise Report and um, check out their music and show support for them. 
And um, we're going to close this out by saying, be well, treat each other with kindness, and, you know, kind of live by the Bill and Ted theme of, you know, the whole be excellent to each other type of thing, because uh, there is enough hatred and bullshit in the world um, without anyone adding to it. So uh, with that said, we're out of here.